Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Jose Gadia. Jose is a senior product marketing manager at Allset, a company known for their osmotic pumps. He is here to speak about the use of implantable pumps as an alternative to serial injections when administering compounds to laboratory animals. Let's jump in. Specifically, Klaus has asked, is it possible to use two pumps in parallel? And, and others have asked, you know, how many pumps can be implanted in a single animal? How would you answer that question? Okay, yeah, thank you, Klaus, for that uh, question and everyone. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. We get that asked a lot. Yes, uh, the answer with the Alset pumps particularly, you may be able to use uh, more than one pump, and but that ultimately is dependent on the size of the animal. So, for example, you know, we do have certain parameters and guidelines, as I showed earlier, and we like to keep stick to those guidelines. So, for example, in in, in if you're working with a 20 gram mouse, the 200 microliter size pump is adequate, but you could use two of the smaller pumps. In larger animals, you may get away with using, you know, the 200 microliter. So if the uh, size in rats, for example, you can do use multiple pumps. We do have references on our database that, that show multiple pumps being used in, in different species. We'll be glad to provide that information to you. So the main requirement is is really to stick to to the number of pumps that would still retain you know animal welfare and and the animals will be would not be affected by by that but certainly multiple pumps can be used okay great uh, thanks for that 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 answer i'm sure that um addresses the the question another question is what is the smallest drug suspension volume that can be incorporated uh, into, you know, the pump. It's not specifically mentioned here whether it's all Z or, or the mm -hmm. IM ratio, but how would you answer that question? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that w that question was asked also because that is uh, another misconception that I didn't cover on my presentation. But many times, you know, uh, this, and I believe this is, is uh, particularly related to the L pumps. You know, we, as I mentioned earlier, we have a 100 microliter, 200 microliter, and 2 milliliter pumps. And uh, sometimes researchers just, you know, have half of the solution that they want to administer and incorrectly fill the pump halfway, for example. This straightforward answer is that the pumps need to be filled completely up to their maximum volume for, effect, for effective delivery and for continuous delivery. Uh, as described in the presentation, the Alset pumps have a fixed volume reservoir, so it's not an elastic. I mean, it, does, it doesn't you know, fill up. Uh, and expand as you're filling. So it's, it's just a, a fixed volume. So if you, for example, are using a 200 microliter pump and you fill it with 100 microliter, well, we'll you'll end up with, you know, basically 
100 microliters of air. So when the pump is implanted, at some point, when that air makes its way into the flow moderator and out through the pump, then you know that will affect continuous delivery of your drug. So because you'll be delivering agent, uh, I mean air. The answer is that they need to be filled completely. So there's there's uh, no minimum. The, the minimum volume that 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 they can be filled with would be its actual uh, volume. With the Ipresio pumps, it's it's not an issue because the pump can be, the reservoir is, is flexible and so it can be filled with less volume than the actual reservoirs. For example, on the S&P 200 pump, which has a 900 microliter reservoir volume, you don't necessarily need to fill it completely with 900 microliters. You can fill it with uh, half of, of that, for example. Great. You you did present you know, a couple slides on how to measure the residual volume at the termination of a study. Can you just you know there've been a few questions about that. Would you just elaborate then, you know, what is the best way to determine how much solution is left in the pump after an experiment? Sure, yeah. Yes, I, I did cover that, Martin, but I think that it was I covered it in in, in very briefly. The um Residual volume, you know, at, at the end of the study, that would provide a very quick assessment of pump fun functionality. Basically, you just take, when you remove the pump, remove the flow moderator, aspirate, use the same filling tube that you used to fill the pump at the beginning of the study, and aspirate whatever solution remains in the pump at that period of time. You need to be careful to try to remove as, as much as the volume, the actual volume as possible so that you can at least have a way to measure that. It won't provide a, a, qua a quantitative assessment. It would be more like a quanti uh, qualitative assessment of functionality. You know, it, you, you'll get enough approximation of how much was delivered and how much wasn't. So you compare that volume, that residual volume to the volume that should have been delivered uh, based on the actual specifications of the pump. One thing to keep in, to, to note also is that when making the, the residual volume calculation, you should know that 5% of the reservoir volume cannot be delivered. Even once the pump is fully, fully compressed, it will still retain about 5% of the total volume. But that's, okay. that's not an issue in terms of pump performance. It's just because the pumps usually have a larger reservoir than, than what's, what's needed for the total duration. Great. Uh, let's ask one more question. Renee has asked a few, but um, one of the questions is, um, you talked about stability, chemical stability. Do the manufacturers of the drug compounds know the chemical stability of each compound, or is it dependent on the solvent? That's used. Yeah, it's a good question. A lot of times um, you can get that information, yes, from, from the manufacturer. The, the issue is that sometimes they provide stability under specific conditions that may not be the same conditions that, that you are using it uh, for. So yes, in some cases, the, the solvent that you use will impact the stability of the compound. And in fact, many times different solvents are chosen for that specific pur 
purpose, which it is to to enhance the stability of the of the compound. So yes, it is, and we also keep that information in our database uh, for some drugs. So we, you know, every almost every publication that comes out, we read it and we index it and add it to our database. And stability is one of the uh, keywords that we look for in terms of keeping that information, so that when customers have specific uh, questions about that, we can do a search for 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 that and provide that information. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.